0: Hello Husky fans. This is Max Cerulo and we are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcaster. We dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played, and uh, today we are taking it back to 2006, uh, which is obviously a was one of the certainly one of the most noteworthy seasons in UConn basketball history. Um, I think it's looked back at by some as a little bit of a disappointment given the way it ended but without a doubt one of the most dominant teams and um this game we're going to talk about so matt McDonough's is back uh, for actually it's been a while last time i think you were on was when we talked about the arizona game like two months ago right
1: yeah, yeah it's been a couple months so it's good to-
0: Nice, yeah. Well, we had we had your brother on once since then, but um, yeah. So we're gonna. So uh, we've every time you and I have talked before. So far, we've talked about the 2011 season uh, championship season that we covered, Uh, but that's. uh, We're not gonna talk about that today. We got. So we're gonna be talking about the Villanova game at Gamble Pavilion on uh, from February 26, uh, 2006. It's crazy to me to imagine this game was 14 played 14 years ago, Um, but. I mean, if you're talking about like some of the greatest Yukon basketball games in terms of just the sheer quality of the teams involved, the you know, the stakes, just like the you know the play, just in terms of overall talent, it doesn't get a lot better than this game. Um so we'll we'll kind of dive into it in a moment. But just for those who aren't familiar, uh, when this game was played, this was very late in the regular season, and both teams, uh, both Yukon and Villanova had spent pretty much the entire season inside the top five. And uh, two weeks earlier, number one, UConn, uh, they got uh, upset. Uh, I, I don't know. They got beat by Villanova in Philadelphia. And so basically two weeks later, there's this huge rematch at Gamble Pavilion. Um, certainly one of the most highly anticipated regular season games that they've had probably ever, if we're being honest. Um, so, Matt, you and I were in high school when this game was played. What do you remember about kind of the, the buildup to this game and, uh, you know, sort of the experience of watching it?
1: Well, I definitely remember the loss at Nova. Um, and growing up in Connecticut at that time, like you said, we were sophomores in high school. Um, but although there are a lot of fans of other colleges in the state, um, you know, whether you were planning on applying to UConn or not, um, you you most of the kids around were, were UConn fans. So um, that Nova loss definitely stung. So this game was kind of a a revenge game but it was also like you said two top five teams um yukon was a couple years removed from a national title uh they were loaded with talent and uh obviously the season ended unfortunately but like this was really the the golden era of um you know being a fan of yukon and being really hyped for uh for UConn to be a top five uh, perennial contender.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of just like the, you know, in the nineties, like those teams were awesome, but there was still sort of like this, they hadn't won a championship yet. And, you know, there was still kind of a national sense of, you know, like what's going on here. Is this really, is this real, is this for real? Like is UConn really as good as they've been by 2006, there's no question. I mean, you've had two national championships. Uh, they were only two years removed from the 2004 season. You know, a whole bunch of those guys who are on that team were like upperclassmen now, and you know, this team, like this, this team was just a wagon. Like, you know, they, they obviously now that you know the UConn has won four championships, and this team, you know, if you come up with a list of you know who are the best UConn basketball teams ever, this team, it probably, I don't know if this team is in a lot everybody's top five. But, of course, if they made the Final Four or if they'd won it all, they'd probably be number one. Like, that's just how dominant they were. Um, And then, yeah, but this game, like, you know, so Villanova was awesome this year, too. This game was played before I was, like, became a UConn fan. And even I remember this game, like, how big this was you know this was a I, was, I believe yeah so february 26th is like basically one of the last weekends you know i think there was only two maybe you know, two weeks or so left in the regular season before the uh, biggies tournament and everything all started up and oh my god just like you know this was a you know cbs um you know this was cbs's game of the week i remember and you know you can hear it in the crowd like the place was going nuts um and yeah, the game the game delivered like this game. So it's not like a dramatic game in any real real way, but just like just the quality of the basketball is just out of control. Like there's I think like like almost a dozen NBA future NBA players involved. Um, so I mean I mean UConn I think had six themselves. Maybe 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 a dozen's a little bit much, but there were quite a lot of NBA talent on the court though. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean you you had in this game. So for. Um, The 06 draft, you had uh, seven guys who were drafted um, that summer. So you had Randy Foyanova, who was uh, drafted by the Celtics and traded to Minnesota at number seven. Rudy Gay, number eight, um, drafted by Houston, traded to Memphis. Hilton Armstrong drafted 12th, uh, New Orleans, Oklahoma City Hornets. Then you have Marcus Williams and Boone, who are drafted consecutively 22nd, 23rd, both to the New Jersey Nets. And then Kyle Lowry, 24th, to Memphis. So you had all those first-round picks, in addition to Denim Brown, um, who was drafted by Seattle but never appeared in the NBA. Um, Then you had Jeff Adrian coming off the bench, who uh, made himself a nice NBA career after going undrafted. Um, and then for, uh, Nova, you also, um, well, Mike and played overseas, but Cun- uh, Cunningham was a freshman. So he played at Nova till 2009 and then he played for, uh, seven NBA teams. So, um, as well as Alan Ray, who was, uh, undrafted, but then played 47 games for the Celtics in the 06, 07 season. So, um. I mean, like, if you look at the talent, it really is remarkable, like, how the collection of these guys. um, And, you know, Alan Ray had the best game for Nova, and he, uh, you know, played only 47 NBA games on the worst Celtics team in a while. So you could see how, um, you know, the talent, even Nardi and Sheridan playing overseas. It was just a lot of pros um, in this game. And that's why, you know, the Big East... They talk to about you know the talent um, every year, and it's not just great college players. It's guys who got paid to go overseas or the G League or NBA. And that's why the game was so great to watch, and why those teams were so great to watch.
0: Oh, absolutely! And it was such a fascinating contrast in styles too. So this UConn team, besides the fact that it was an absolute wagon, was also one of the most dominant, in, like interior teams in college basketball history. So this team, you know, UConn was right in the middle of its um, many, many, many year long run of leading the the country in blocks. This team also led the country in rebounds. And, you know, with between Hilton Armstrong, Josh Boone, you know, Rudy Gay and, you know, whole a whole bunch of others, you know, they, they just killed people inside. And this Villanova team, it's actually honestly kind of incredible how ahead of its time it was. This team started four guards and like those four guards were pretty much responsible for, I think, 80 percent of their offense production. Like even today, like, you know, in the modern, like, basketball era, to start four guards and play them that extensively, it's it's uncommon. in 2006, it was absolutely unheard of. And yet, like, it worked. Like, you watch this game. I mean, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit. They had 24 offensive rebounds. Villanova did against this UConn team. Like, that's insane. <laughs> like...
1: No, and you're right. And it, it is almost like the prelude to the Houston Rockets of this year, um, you know, almost 15 years prior. Um, you're right. And, I, and with Foy, right, Lowry, and Nardi starting, like you said, in addition to 80% of the team's points, they also accounted for 43% of the rebounds. So for them, like you said, to put up that crazy number of offensive rebounds um, – You know, that just shows their hustle, especially considering you have UConn who um, led the NCAA in rebounds and blocks, like you mentioned. But you also had, you know, Hilton Armstrong and Josh Boone, who was in foul trouble this game, but they were in the paint. You know, like you said, UConn was an – they they made their – money in the paint you know like Williams would drive and dish and Boone and Armstrong were like true traditional big men um and Villanova still you know they were so scrappy and um you know it's a reason why uh we remember some of these guys even though they didn't have the most illustrious NBA careers like I remember you know Mike Nardi and Randy Foy and Allen Wright in addition to obviously Kyle Lowry, who is you know a six-time All-Star and NBA champion, at Villanova it was a, it, the style fit their personnel, which um, you know Jay Wright. Uh, I was critical of him before he's this recent run of his two national titles, but you got to hand it to him with uh, coaching to his players, you know, putting them in the best position to succeed. And at that point, starting four guards was the, the best fit for that team.
0: Yeah, Jay Wright, I think we we all really do need to give the guy some real credit because, you know, this was, I think, his fifth year. So, you know, this is kind of the point where his program is really starting to, to roll. And, you know, he gets this, you know, this fantastic quartet of guards and he just lets them off the leash, you know. And then I think even by his own admission, he said that in kind of like the, you know, the 2011-12 range, he sort of got away from his philosophy of, you know, I guess we'll say trying to, you know, maximize the quality of the player that he has and instead started relying on these like super recruits. And, you know, he goes from this season where they made the elite eight and they were, you know, a consensus top five team in basketball all season long. You know, 2009, they make the final four. They're consistently a good team. And then during that stretch, they sort of, you know, they're talented, but they don't quite reach their potential, and obviously, you know, in the last like eight or you know eight years or so since then, we've all seen what's happened. But you know, this uh, this was a great Villanova team, and uh, I wanted to talk about this game especially too because you know Villanova is expected to be a national championship contender again this coming season, assuming there is a you know this coming season. Um, so. um this game, watching this game was definitely, like, kind of made me smile because it was like, this is a preview of what it could be like again. You know, you know the new Big East is not quite the same. You know, we don't have Syracuse. You don't have Pitt, you know, some of the old rivals. But, you know, when UConn-Villanova is good, I mean, we've seen it in the past. Like, this is, you know, a perfect example. It can be awesome. And, you know, if UConn is able to get back up to the level of where they were in the mid-2000s, Villanova is obviously already there. So, you know this is a great game to go back and watch and just be like, yeah, this is how it could be again. And uh, if it, if it is, I mean, I can't even wait. Um, so before we kind of dive into the game, we mentioned Kyle Lowry. Cause I wanted to talk about him, especially, I have to admit, I forgot he was on this team and it's a little bit weird to imagine that he was playing college basketball in 2006 because it feels like he's, you know, a lot younger than that. Doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy thing too. Like you mentioned how long ago it was. It really does not seem that long, you know, when you really um, go back to it. And to get personal quick, like you said, we're saying the time of our life where we're in, it was sophomore year of high school. But I remember, um, you know, the Nova game uh, they lost uh, in Philly, that was, I think, a school night. So I remember watching that at home. But this, I remember watching at my friend's church league uh Greek Orthodox Church League basketball game up in Waterbury. And there was a snack bar, like, on the side of the gym with a TV. So I didn't watch much of my friend's basketball game. I, we, My brother and I were both in the snack bar the entire time. And, um, you know, that's the funny thing. Like, with a guy like Lowry, he's such a staple in the NBA that you kind of just, you know, are used to seeing him Obviously, you know, he was with the Grizzlies and Rockets, but he's found a, a home in Toronto, um, and he's going to, you know, probably get his number retired um, in those rafters. But, like, you forget guys where they were uh, in in their careers. Like, and he only had, you know, nine points on three of 11 shooting, so it, it it wasn't one of his marquee games by any means. But um, even, you know, Rudy Gay still in San Antonio with the Spurs. Some of these guys have had a lot of longevity, so it's funny where the time feels like it's it's a, a long way back, but it really uh, hasn't gone as, uh, you know, it's not as, uh, it hasn't gone as quickly as we've thought, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, you know, what's funny with him especially is you look back at that 2006 draft and it's not a very good draft, if we're being honest, and you know, a lot of the guys that were in that draft have, you know, obviously are long out of the league or maybe they're they're still in the league and you know you, they're kind of at the, the tail end. So, for instance, Rudy Gay, you know, Rudy Gay's you know, he they, they you know, he's been in the league for basically just as long. And, you know, I think when you think of Rudy Gay, generally at this point, he's still a productive NBA player, but he's not like a star. Maybe certainly not. He's certainly past his peak, at least. Whereas with Lowry, you look at his. I'm looking at his basketball reference page right now, and it's crazy. You know, he he enters the league when he's 20 years old, and he plays in Memphis for a couple seasons. He plays in Houston for a couple seasons, and basically he doesn't average more than 10 points per game until his seventh season in the league. So his sec it was his uh I think he was so he's 24 in 2010 2011. He averages 13.5 points per game, and you know that's his. We'll say his breakthrough. And it's not like that's great. I mean, that's you know, he basically goes from being sort of a, you know, he doesn't he hardly started at all for his first like six years in the league before that. not was really not much of a factor at all. And then, you know, he steadily gets a little bit better. He's still kind of hovering in the like eleven to fourteen point range. And then he gets to Toronto. Um, his first season in Toronto is kind of just like that too. And then he jumps up to seventeen point nine points per game. And then all of a sudden, 2014, 15, he becomes an all star for the first time, and is like, what would it be? I don't. Know. We not gonna be like. I'm not gonna just count it here, but like his not, like his eighth season in the league or something like that. Like his ninth season. You know, he he's been in the league for almost a decade. Now all of a sudden he's an all star, and he's won. He's been an all star every year since then. That's like yeah. that. That's pretty. Un, like that doesn't happen. Like, can you think no, of anybody no. else who's like took 10 years to basically reach their prime and has basically been good ever since?
1: No, I, I no, you're right, and off the top of my, my head, I can't, and uh, I mean, that's the thing, and you know, the, the great thing about going back and watching these games, like you mentioned too, obviously, the 2011 season will always be, you know, very, um, you know, personal for me and you, uh, just being students and covering the team, but um, looking at some of these uh, games, um, you see kind of, not with Lowry specifically, but... Some of these guys, you could tell, like, you know, well, if given the chance, they could probably, you know, carve out a role for themselves. Like, even Jeff Adrian in this game, um, you know, was uh, – Vermonquist and Billy Packer were speaking very highly of him, and he was a freshman, you know. Like, some of these guys, you could kind of just tell – obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, so it's easy to look back um, at it. But, you know – Lowry came from a really good college team, good a good college coach, and he was at least, you know, stayed, had staying power in the league, and once he got an opportunity to really shine, whether it be just the Raptors, what offense they were running, or just finally getting a, a role, uh, he hasn't given it up, you know, and we look at, at a guy like Adrian uh, has, had really no business being in the NBA based on his size, but, you know, his heart was immeasurable, and even as a freshman uh, on a CBS Sunday game, the announcers are really uh, giving him a lot of praise. And then he's a four-year college player and he's undrafted and he, he, he makes the NBA and plays for a few teams. So it, it's funny looking back at, at some of these players and kind of seeing, um, you know, what they were able to do. And not to be disparaging, but then some of the other guys um, you could kind of see uh, well, maybe they didn't have it, you know, like, may, oh, well, they got drafted, but, um, you know, maybe in the case of like a Josh Boone, uh, you know, he he was a, a, gr- a great college player, but okay, maybe he's not going to last in the NBA, you know, stuff like that. Um, now, knowing what we know is it, easy to look back. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jeff Adrian was awesome in this game, by the way. It's, it's, you know, he didn't play very much, but man, in the second half, he was nuts uh, by the way I, I well i i looked back at uh, lowry's reference page so he he was became an all-star for the first time in his eighth season and he's been a six-time all-star ever since years eight through 14 which is preposterous but yeah so anyway um yeah but yeah so it's this this game was fun. Do you, do you want to just dive into it? Uh, you know, kind of go, uh, yeah, go go through it. So yeah, so basically, this game, you know, wasn't the last Big East game of the year, but it was kind of a de facto uh, Big East title game, uh, you know, regular season title game. Uh, Villanova was uh, one game ahead of UConn in the standings. Uh, they were ranked number two in the country at the time, and uh, UConn was ranked. I believe they were. I think either. I think was it were they ranked number three or number four? I, I can't remember which. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think-
1: I think well one of the poll the C- CBS graphic, Villanova was two and Yukon was four, and then I think um, one of the other reference pages I was looking at they, they listed Yukon as three. So and I I went by CBS. So it was a number two verse four. And like you said, Yukon eleven and two in the Big East, Villanova twelve and one, Villanova was twenty two and two, Yukon was twenty four and two. Uh, hopefully, like you said the those days will return soon because what a matchup for a conference game on Fe- uh, you know on, on uh, a late February afternoon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm always a little confused about which poll to go with. I think they were number three in the AP poll, but yeah, CBS was had them at number four. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so for the game begins, and first of all, Gamble was was like on fire, like just uh, you know the whole place was packed. It was vintage, like just. One of the best Gamble games I think I can recall. I mean, you know, people who've been around, like maybe if we got like Big Red and some other of the lifers together and asked them to pull their best uh, Gamble Pavilion games, I don't know where this game would end up, but I feel like it would probably be in the top 10 for sure. Because the atmosphere, from what I gather and from some of our, you know, friends who were freshmen, you know, they were seen, they would have been seniors when we got to UConn. They all raved about this game, just like how, how awesome the atmosphere was. Um, and both teams showed up. Uh, one of the things that really needs to be said is, uh, both like sometimes you have a game and you know there'll be long stretches where neither team plays very well. And that was not the case here. These teams brought it. Uh, the very beginning, uh, UConn takes a 12 to 6 lead after the first four minutes. But like even throughout all that, Villanova was holding up well, and you could tell like okay, so this team they're starting four guards, and yet they're they're kind of not overpowering UConn, but they're certainly holding their own physically. And, um, you know, that really was noticeable. And then, you know, Villanova goes on a quick five to nothing run to kind of cut the deficit to one. Josh Boone gets in foul trouble, sits the rest of the first half for like basically the next 15 minutes. And then Villanova got to give them credit. They, they go on a big run. They go uh, on a 12 to two run, take a, a 18 to 14 lead. And, even like and and defensively they shut Yukon down Yukon goes like 2 for 11 after starting 3 for 3 and um you know as rewatching the game I'm like like Villanova man wow what a <laughs> they, they, these guys are good cuz it, it didn't feel like Yukon was playing poorly they just it just kind of they were getting outplayed which is you know there's a big difference so do you, what what you, I know you rewatched this? So what what do you what do you do you, what did you recall uh, seeing this part uh, the opening you know ten minutes basically?
1: Well, like you said, because you know Villanova they started two of ten from the field, but um, you know they just hung around like good teams do. Uh, the main takeaway, and I think this is um, something that. Like he, I know, you said that you, you weren't you remember this game, but weren't particularly following the team. Marcus Williams to me was such a good uh, basketball player, and I know, like I said, you know he, he uh, had a, a brief NBA career and almost made a comeback a couple years ago. Um, and, um, you know, New Jersey. I don't know when they took him and Boone. They thought uh, they could be a pretty good pair, which it's great. They both had the NBA's. NBA careers, they did, but Williams, you know, he had missed the first half of that season um, and I, him and Price had gotten in trouble uh, for the, the laptops. And even in the 0304 national title season, his grades pulled him off the team, but he was such a great floor general. I, the way he'd run the offense was so smooth. Um, such a great fit facilitator, his entry passes and lob passes his passes in transition, his core awareness and vision. I, it was That's what I my first takeaway was like, wow. I mean, he was a true college point guard putting up Rajon, Rajon Rondo-esque stat lines uh, before Rondo was made famous for it. And even in the beginning of the game, it seemed like every UConn basket was off of Williams pass, pretty much. You know, I, it, it was just... Like, a, an incredible um, thing to watch. And, and and Williams, I think a lot of UConn fans loved watching him. Like I said, it, even though perhaps the pot- potential in college was never realized due to some of the other stuff. Um, but he always found the guys. Like, even when Villanova's up f- 15 to 14, um, after Foy banked a, a three-pointer, uh, like, Williams fed Austria. Um, and then Ostierra balls it, uh, but then Williams gets a rebound and then gives it to Anderson. But Rashad misses uh, the shot. It, he always looked for his teammates, and I'm sure we'll get into it later when UConn makes a run in the second half. But um, that was that was the the best thing to watch uh, off the bat for me.
0: Oh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up actually because I so Marcus Williams is a player that I have seen very little of in terms of you know watching his games. Um, but he was a guy, so he, you know, basically, I missed him by a couple years. And everybody, you know, when I first got to UConn, you know, anybody, you know, all the, everybody who was older just raved about him. They're just like, man, like Marcus Williams was unbelievable. And kind of for me, like, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> grew up accustomed. Well, you know, I came up accustomed to Kemba and Shabazz. So I don't know. I never really, I guess I never really got the appeal. I want, you know, seeing the first like six minutes of this game and I got it. I mean, he is just like you know, take the ball up the court and bang pass in basket, you know, just, you know, it was so smooth, so clean. He, he was, he, he really saw the floor so well. And yeah, I think, I think, yeah, the the first six minutes of the game, he has four assists and no turnovers. And, you know, it was noticeable. Like, you know, a lot of times you see these point guards will make plays, but you, the, the, the thing you remember is the basket. But what I remembered was just like, oh my God, like well, that pass was nuts. You know, Marcus, uh, You know, he I definitely got I definitely it was definitely a good first impression for me, for him, for sure. And, um, you know, he was great throughout. I mean, you know, offensively, he was okay in this game. But, you know, in the you know, kind of the the distributing, he he really kind of kept UConn in it, especially after Villanova's early run. Uh, The other guy who stood out and um, obviously I'm well familiar with uh, this guy, Rashad Anderson. What a sniper! <laughs> he had—he was unbelievable in this game. He has uh, two big threes. He ends up with five overall. He—he uh, he was really the one who kind of keyed UConn's first big run. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and Anderson was just—he was the the best. I mean, if you look at it, when you talk about the 0-4 team, Josh Boone started at, at center in the national championship. He would have been—he was a freshman, I believe. Um, but. The two guys who didn't make the NBA on this team, Denim Brown and uh, Rashad Anderson, those were the guys, you know, you you really, the four-year UConn players who had won it and who were now, um, you know, seniors on the team. Like, you could tell, obviously, high recruit out of Baltimore, extremely talented, uh, top ten pick after his sophomore year. Um, But, like, Brown and, and, and Anderson, that's who really UConn, they were carried by those guys, and they relied on those guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Denham Brown actually led the UConn in scoring in this game, which I which I was a little bit surprised by because, I don't know, he, he didn't have very many loud baskets like some of the others. Uh, but, you know, very steady and very consistent throughout. Uh, but, yeah, no, Rashad was, you know, he he had uh, two three-pointers within, I think it was within two minutes of each other. Uh, the last one was uh, right into the, the under-eight timeout. And that put UConn ahead 26 to 22. So, you know, UConn has a six point lead. Then they trailing by, a, I think it was about four, maybe also by six at one point. And then they flip it up. And, uh, you know, it it was for the first half, it was pretty much consistently within six points by either team, pretty consistently. Um, And yeah, so Hilton Armstrong, I want to mention him, too, because he he had a hilarious game. He had eight blocks and was just all over the place defensively and was victim to some horrible, horrible calls. Like he had this, you know, at one point later on, he has this, you know, not a clean block, but like a, a good, a good attempt on a block. And he got called for like an intentional foul. He had, I don't know, just a, f- a bunch of weird stuff like yeah. that. But I mean, you want to talk about loud plays. Hilton Armstrong was making some loud plays. Um, you know, had a couple of key baskets in this stretch too, to kind of keep Yukon ahead by about six or so. Um, and you know Hilton Armstrong is another guy. He was on that 2004 team. Not really a guy he would hear about that often these days, but definitely. And you know this, he was a huge part of this season. Do you have any uh, you know any thoughts on Hilton especially?
1: Yeah. So because Hilton, that's a thing like you mentioned. He was on the 0-4 team, and obviously that 0-4 team was so deep, but the 0-6 team was deep too. But Armstrong, mate, he might be one of those guys where, um, you know, you could put a feather in Calhoun's cap for developing. But also just really, um, he's the definition of um, adversity and perseverance on a basketball court and on a college team, in my opinion. He he was a role player, a bench guy, and then he becomes a, a lottery pick. He, to be drafted 12th um, from where he was before this year started, really is a testament to, um, you know, again, not only Calhoun's coaching, but... Armstrong's patience and just work ethic. Because um, I don't, I I think it it college basketball should be a player's game, and I don't fault any guy for transferring at the clip they do now. But Armstrong could have probably left and finished his career somewhere else, getting more playing time earlier. Um, But he stayed the course and and he became a, a sheer force in the paint. Like you said, the eight blocks. Um, he, he became an NBA prospect his senior year. And I that's one of the things I remember, even all these years later, just how, you know, everyone knew Boone was good. Everyone knew um, Gay was good. Um, Marcus Williams was good. But Armstrong is the guy that you didn't think at the beginning of the year he'd be a first-round pick coming out of UConn. You know, so um, – and like you said, his the, – the block um, – after uh or the block that leads to the second anderson three um that you know villanova then called a timeout after and that was the attempt to yukon uh run over a few minutes there that was a, a huge help and they talked obviously i'm biased um you know i love bill russell but he always talks about defense starting the offense and he, and armstrong would would block it tap it to teammates start the break and then they'd go off in transition and, and you know Williams would either drive and dish or kick it to Anderson for threes so he, he was a huge huge part of this team um and he's kind of forgotten in a sense just because he didn't have the marquee Yukon moment um but you know he was a part of great teams um and really you know for him to make the NBA the way he did it was awesome so it's very easy to be a fan of um, Hilton Armstrong. And, you know, that's the thing, like you even uh, mentioned with the, the uh, style of play here, it was, uh, even with the poor shooting, it was a fast-paced game where, you know, Nova's up four, UConn comes back. Obviously, basketball's a game of runs, but um, Hilton really helped spur UConn. Um, even if the eight blocks are the only thing that really jumps out at you from the box score. Yeah,
0: well, UConn. You, you so UConn had five blocks in like a span of four minutes during that big run. Uh, Hilton had a couple of them, and uh, you know some good offense too. You mentioned Bill Russell. I know he's like your go-to guy. <laughs> I was thinking yeah, actually while I'm you were red, yeah. while you're so while we were kind of mentioning how you know how Hilton had a knack for you know keeping the ball in bounds, he had one notable block that. Uh, it didn't quite work out so well for them in that respect. He goes up and he just absolutely annihilates this this ball uh, directly into the hands of a Villanova perimeter uh, player who just dishes it to Nardi for three. So in the span of a, literally, I think the whole sequence took less than three seconds. You just have this monster block, you know, this this quick dish and this three. And Gample goes from... Just like oh, to oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that is true. Yeah, and he did, he did a SWAT one or two uh, into the third row there as well, I think. And like you said, the, the call, the, the intentional foul call. I, I rewatching this last night. I, I was livid seeing that.
0: Well, you weren't the you only know, one. Vern was freaking out too. Vern and yeah. Billy Packer were like cr- going crazy when that happened, and you know. No, that... I
1: loved how those guys called out the refs, and like that was ridiculous. Like, it, and it happens far too often where you're going for the ball like you said and because a guy these are two incredibly athletic guys going up to the basket attacking the basket slash ball and um you know if one falls awkwardly uh it's not necessarily because it was a flagrant foul you know and that's what they called intentional not going for the ball and all hilton was trying to do is block the shot so i i may have like uh not said some words under my breath, but it, I may have been frustrated about a 2006 game for a few minutes last night. But <laughs> uh, The crowd, like you said, though, just to touch on it quickly, and th- this is a weird moment again in, in retrospect of being so long ago. This was one of those days where I, I really like wanted to be a part of that crowd, and I, I really think that watching uh, a game like this at the time of my life, like, it really helped steer me toward going to UConn. Um, Academics aside, and even just being a fan of the basketball team, I was considering other places or schools and, like, while being a UConn fan. um, But, you know, second half of sophomore year, trying to get your colleges in mind, like, seeing the student section, seeing the crowd, seeing the, uh, you know, beautiful well-lit gamble pavilion. I wish, I wish they'd turned the lights back on there, but it, it, it was just amazing. Like it, it made me want to be a part of that school and like other factors and friends um, came into play junior year when really considering, okay, this is a school I want to key in on. But um, even the student section, like those tie dye t-shirts they had, I remember after this game, like we, and my mom bought me one of those at Dunkin' Donuts. Like Dunkin' Donuts sponsored the student section and they actually sold the student section T-shirts. So like the state pride thing aside, just watching it uh, again, seeing the, the atmosphere, it was kind of the, the environment you wanted to be in as a college student. And, um, you know, obviously we're both happy we went there, but like it's funny thinking back now that like, okay, this was a game – one of the games where it's I want to be in that gamble po- crowd. Oh
0: man, yeah, it's definitely one of the games where if I can get on a time machine and just kind of go back to great UConn games, this would be on the excuse me, this would be on that list. Uh, like the NIT championship would be on that list. You know, there'd be a few a few other ones yeah. like that where it would just be like just bananas to yes be a, be involved. Um, yeah. So anyway, so kind of down the stretch in the half, you know, we have a couple more big plays. You know, Rudy Gay gets open and throws down this huge huge two-handed slam and then um unfortunately villanova gets the last laugh going into halftime uh shane clark of all people just gets the ball in in transition as time is about to expire and like his his foot's his foot's on the line it was a terrible shot just puts up his goofy little shot that somehow banks in for two and uh yeah so yukon goes into halftime they lead 36 to 33 and, you um, know, all the UConn guys, when that shot goes in, they're just like, Jesus, like, come on, like, <laughs> like. Yeah,
1: well, well, Clark averaged, they said two points a game that year. So I guess he reached his quota with that shot. But, yeah, no, it was a an awkward release. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he banks it in. But um, like you said, UConn, at least they had with Gay, you know, because midway through the first half and Packer even said, you know, Gay's playing soft on both ends. And he Calhoun yanks him. And he sits for a little while, and him and Calhoun have a, a conversation there. But when he comes back in, um, and, you know, Denim Brown was sitting the last three minutes with his second foul, UConn goes from um, – uh, with two minutes, Lowry pulls within one. So it was good that they built a five-point lead before the buzzer beater just to take take back control a little bit more and – uh, have a 3 point lead going into the half.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, go after halftime. Um so for the shooting percentages for both teams are um actually so it's funny, Yukon had a stretch where they were missing a lot of shots, but going into halftime they were almost at 50% for the game. Uh they're 50 they were 45% from the field, they're 50% from behind the arc and they're uh, they've they're 2 for 2 from the line. So, you know, that's like I was a little surprised. Like I felt like UConn was missing more shots, but it turns out the problem was that they weren't taking enough shots. And uh, the problem with that was Villanova was getting a way, way, way more offensive rebounds than they had any business getting. So because of that, you have Villanova. They only shoot thirty five point three percent from the field in the first half, but they took ah uh, geez, actually, I'm gonna have to edit this out. They took almost the same number of shots. <laughs> they took they took uh, they were. T- yeah, I thought they no, took way more. Even
1: CBS had the graphic of all the Villanova uh, second chances.
0: Yeah. But, no, so it turns out, actually, I, I you know what? I'm going to leave this in because I stand corrected. Villanova, they shot uh, 12 for 34, so 35.3%. So they took one one more shot than UConn did. It just felt like they took a million more because they had so many more second chance opportunities.
1: Yeah, and that's a Like we mentioned, the, the Villanova size and the guard play. Um, and you really have to... You have to dig out the rebounds and um, create opportunities when you're starting four guards and uh, most of your rotation is guards. And where UConn, even like you said, though so there were walls where both teams went through shooting slumps, but um, and even some of the some some of the shots, like there were a few air balls for both teams this game. But it's still the offense was was run very well, where um, you know they weren't awful shots like it wasn't some one-on-one isolation and a, a contested uh shot that had no chance they they ran the offense and in the big east where you're going to get banged and bruised uh sometimes you're not going to have uh, perfect uh shooting stretches so the second half uh it's crazy because for both teams with the final score um, you're almost waiting like, geez, when are these te- when are when are the teams gonna go on their runs? And, and they both, they both did a, a little bit in the second half with obviously UConn pulling away. Yeah, and
0: actually, I, I now I'm, I'm looking over the box score again and I see why I was going on that track and where I was off. So actually, it appears that Villanova took almost twice as many shots as UConn attempted in the second half. I I uh, think I had that as the first half, so that's my mistake. But yeah, no, the second second half, Villanova attempts forty shots. UConn attempts twenty-two, and wow. during that stretch of time, you so UConn goes into halftime. They're they're leading by three points, and the final score of this game was eighty-nine to seventy-five. So UConn extended its lead by eleven points, despite attempting almost half as many shots.
1: That's efficiency. Yeah, yeah. it's be-
0: yeah. it is it's many things. Efficiency is certainly one of them. So basically how how that happens, well, I guess kind of just to start off, I mean, the second half kind of starts more or less kind of like the first half played out, you know, kind of it continues to be back and forth. UConn builds its lead up a little bit. They get a seven point lead, um, you know, kind of a few minutes in and then, you know, so they're, they're up 42 to 35. Marcus Williams gets a gets a technical, so then you know that leads to some shenanigans, and you know you get a, a a three from Nardi that cuts it to three, you know stays about three to five points for another couple minutes. You know Ant- Rashad Anderson hits another three for him, so that's in wow. back to seven points, and then Villanova goes on a 12 to four run. Alan Ray hits like two three pointers in quick uh, quick succession. You have the intentional okay. foul call that we were kind of complaining about before, so he hits a couple more free throws. So, out uh, by the way, big, big stretch for Allen Ray. He has uh, 10 points in this stretch alone, and that puts Villanova up uh, 54 to 53. With um, I don't have the time written down, but it was about 12 minutes to play under 11,
1: with under 11 to play, like yeah. you said. On, and Tim Higgins made that call on Hillen, by the way. So, I think there's no surprise there for I'm sure a lot of the fans who remember Tim Higgins as a beast ref. But yeah, Ray, t- two contested threes. Uh, money on his free throws um and then Gay who, who had struggled with foul trouble um and you know UConn didn't have the the easiest day in terms of their guys uh staying on the court in terms of with fouls but Villanova's up one but then Allen Ray picks up his fourth foul with uh, 10 20 left to go and then um then that really uh catapults UConn to um you know either directly or indirectly making their run um you have Gay uh, hitting two free throws, Anderson um, with just a wet three uh, off a pass from Williams. He was just, uh, I, I, it didn't even graze the rim. So and he,
0: and that put, not even a catch and point. shoot. He had like this nice little dribble move to the right, and bang! Just uh, he no, that, it was that was beautiful.
1: Yeah. And then Williams makes two free throws, which I'm pretty sure were his first points of the game with eight fifty eight, and then. Adrian has an acrobatic putback and uh or backs down in the paint and does some acrobatics to put UConn up eight with eight thirty.
0: Big run for Jeff Adrian. So he had that basket. He also has a rebound and a and a, a putback. I think like maybe the next possession or two down, and um so that play. So now UConn's <laughs> now on a twelve to one run. Only six only six fifty to play now. So now UConn's extended it. So UConn's up to ten points ahead now. That's their largest lead of the game. Anderson for three again. I believe that was his last one. Uh, his That makes it 15 to three run. And then uh, yep. Denham Brown gets a two, uh, uh, hits a basket and one. Uh, so that makes it 18 to three run over the course of like five minutes. UConn's up 71 to 57. Is about five minutes to play. And like, I mean, at that point, it's kind of a wrap. Like a lot still happens. And like, I think both teams yeah. score almost 20 more points the rest of the way. But you know, at that point it's you, you get this sense of, like okay, something really wild is going to have to happen for Yukon to lose now. And what ends up happening instead is just like both teams for like the next 2 or 3 minutes just shoot a whole bunch of free throws. So yeah. like, you know, the, the game kind of gets bogged down a little bit at that point. But, you know, if you're if you're up by 15 points and you're just trading free throws every possession, you're not you're not going to lose that way, like not as long yeah. as you're making them, you know?
1: Yeah, no, especially and you know, Lowry you got to pet his stats a little bit, but, you not know, like you said, you, you have Denon Brown, who uh, was uh, consistent from the free throw line um, at the end, and that, that's where he, he got his career-high 23 points. That's what put him over the top there. But he had a really nice and one dunk off a pass from Rudy Gay um, after uh, UConn broke the press. Uh, pretty much uh, they Marcus Williams uh, really got it going again and he had, he actually had a couple nice drives and fake uh he had two finger rolls i think for um i mean he ended up with 10 points and 12 assists if i'm not mistaken and he was coming off uh, a uh, triple double i think too at notre dame so only the sixth one in yukon history so he he got to get to the 10 points and uh the double double there Um, but the game, like you said, was really decided. I mean, when you say, you know, after UConn, um, with, they did have the 9-0 run, you know, in two minutes that turns into the, uh, 18-3 run, um, that, that really cemented the win, uh, for the Huskies. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, in a game of runs, the one really good one, um, you know, with not a lot of time left, we'll, uh, we'll put you over the top there. But it, it was enjoyable to watch. Like you said, even Jeff Adrian, to have him make some plays as a freshman was awesome. And I think Billy Packer even said uh, uh, during one of the uh, stops in play how hard-nosed he is and uh, how much he loves contact. So, um, you know, the, the team uh, – this really, like you said, they, they were Big East co-regular season champions thanks to this win, which is the last time they've won a regular season conference title. Um, unfortunately, it shows how hard it is, um, especially in the Big East. And um, But, you know, winning the Big East regular season, that meant a lot. Um, and, it, you know, this was the win that solidified UConn, um, you know, as having a, a share of that.
0: Oh, Absolutely. So yeah, Alan Ray winds up going down with a knee injury with like three and a half minutes to play. And then, yeah, then it was kind of, that was about it. Like, you know, it was actually crazy how many more points were scored, but it was pretty much all drama free. Yeah. UConn wins 89 to 75, 89 points and a lot of points to put up on a, this Villanova team. Like. I actually have to admit, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it. I thought this game was closer. Like, it felt like when I remember this game was happening at the time, I remember being like, oh, my God, this is this big, epic game. And, I mean, they won by 14 points, and they scored 89. And, like, that's – I mean, I'm not going to say no, that it's not, it's not a blowout, but it's definitely decisive for sure. Like,
1: I'm with you. It's funny coincidence. I said the same exact thing uh, last night. Like, I – I didn't remember the final score exactly, but if you were to have asked me before watching it, I would have said, oh, UConn won by six or something. It, I, it, it is crazy. Uh, and like you said, quietly too. And that's a great thing. Denim Brown was uh, such a steady, quiet player, like you mentioned. You know, he a member of national title team. Uh, he hit the big shot to win the Maui Invitational. Um, and... Uh, And not only that, in Toronto in high school, he scored 111 points in a game. And for college, his career (laughs) high 23 points, you you almost don't even remember a specific play except for maybe the and one and a a, a dunk he had. It's funny, like just how, uh, you know, the quiet uh, capper uh, in terms of free throws and plays by Brown. you know, and UConn wins by 14. And then the overrated uh, chance start by Gample And, uh, you know, Brown Brown and Allen Wright, they were the two uh, Chevrolet players of the game. Brown, again, with 23 points. Alan Wright with 19.
0: Oh, my God. That's I'd I points, I'd, I'd forgotten that Denham Brown scored 111 points in a high school game. That is absurd. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I remember that was the big thing because – even when you mentioned the, the recruiting aspect and how Villanova is now like getting all the top recruits, UConn wasn't like they would be getting all the McDonald's All-Americans back then. I think Gay was one of the highest, if not the highest recruit to go to UConn at the time. But when Denim Brown committed, I remember that was like the footnote in all the newspaper stories that, oh, he's from Toronto, and then it's either, oh, well, he's either really good or, well, I guess Toronto basketball's not that good yeah, now Toronto sends a ton of guys to the NBA. But, yeah, he scored 111 points. And they that was, like, the factoid that I think probably was mentioned every single game that Denim Brown played in college. Uh, I think even I, it may have been the 05 season or maybe it was 06. But I think one of the games against Army, he, like, uh, he didn't, score or he scored so late um maybe and i remember yeah, yeah so they beat army in november of this season um and denim brown i think he only had yeah he, he he had two points he was one of six shooting and i just remember as a kid you know this is me just yukon's five and oh and has a team full of NBA starts i just remember like Geez, Zen and Brown's gonna have to play or play better if they're gonna have a chance here. If he can only score two points <laughs> against Army, you know what's gonna happen. You know me not really understanding the game and what an off night is. So, oh
0: my God! <laughs> yeah, it's
1: funny. Uh, well, yeah, he he was he was awesome. I really wish he, he had gotten at least a cup of coffee in the NBA. Him and Rashad Anderson, but. Yeah. That's the way the cookie crumbles.
0: Well, if De- I don't know if Denim Brown listens to this podcast, but if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. We can talk about the Maui Invitational, and I need to hear all about this 111 point game. I don't think I've ever even scored that many points in NBA 2K, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I certainly have yeah. certainly never scored. I'd be lucky if I've scored 11 points in a pickup basketball game. I'm it was notoriously no, I, terrible.
1: <laughs> then in convention is 10, and then rack is six. So I, I'm not. Uh, any word of, about basketball is obviously uh, from the armchair, uh, of my couch here. So yeah, well, you
0: yeah, know what? At least one, at least one of us has a uh, an intramural championship ring, and it's not me. So you know what? I, I yeah, guess yeah. We'll, we'll defer to you on this.
1: Playing, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, the, when when you score so little, it's easy to remember every basket. Denim Brown and any guy. Obviously, it'd be great to uh, for all these guys to be guests on. on your podcast, but, uh, I'm sure it's tougher to remember 111 points in one game. Uh, I, I'm lucky to have that in my career. So, uh, I remember most of them, but yeah, that's a crazy thing too with, um, you know, and uh, like the Rashad Anderson's and Denim Brown's like, they really are, uh, great, you know, like in, in Yukon lore, so to speak, you remember those guys more so than, you know, the national, um, uh players of the year and like people you know the casual fan might not remember those guys but in connecticut they're they're rem- remembered and respected just the same as you know the williams boons and um you know armstrongs and gays who 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 got over the top and made the nba
0: yeah so let's uh yeah so let's kind of uh, move moving on to the uh kind of the post game so UConn wins uh I was going through the uh, AP story a couple of really great quotes so after the game you know UConn they made no attempt to downplay how big a win this was for them so Jim Calhoun says this was an advertisement for how hard the teams in this league play increasing our toughness was one thing I thought we had to do we knew we could score but we had to show we could come up with that kind of Game like we have at other times this season, and it's it probably worth reminding people: UConn lost to Villanova only about two weeks earlier, and they were ranked number one at the time. So this was definitely like kind of a big show me game. Jeff Adrian, who I might add, a freshman, had this to say: "This game was really uh, this this game was a really big game for us, a statement. They got real happy after that first win, and we had to shut their mouths. Today we had to go out there and show them." we're not what they think we are we are men out there jeff adrian my guy that <laughs> the, I, the, we need to get jeff adrian like like a plaque somewhere cuz like that is a fantastic quote and he's a freshman like
1: yeah what, what I, a i mean he's a man jeff adrian is a man and he he at times as a freshman was probably still a man among boys uh, i mean that's an awesome soundbite and even uh, like you said, the, the the gravity of this, and I and they did say that the the twenty thousand that was in the Wachovia Center the two weeks before that was the largest basketball crowd um, in Pennsylvania history at that time. And Villanova, I think they went on like some twenty-two to four run to overcome a twelve-point lead and won by five, and they were four. UConn was one, and like you said, like UConn. Not only do you not forget that, but when you when you only have two losses, one of which was um, the no, Steve Novak 41 point game in the Marquette Big East opener, which they always lose the road conference opener. But I think that was this was the first year of Marquette being in the league with the expansion. But you know UConn they were not going to back down um, with a second chance at Villanova, and it's great that you have a guy like Adrian who's a freshman. Showing that confidence, um, you know, and even him and Craig Ostery, they they became the cornerstones, the foundation that the upperclassmen leaders, um, along with you know, how the beat in 09. and I think them being on a team like this probably helped um, help them with that. You know, like being around all the NBA talent, seeing what it takes to be successful. And then, you know, a few years later, they have such a great regular season with 09. Um, but, yeah, that's an awesome quote.
0: It's, yeah, I, I read that and I was just like, my guy. <laughs> that's our that's our boy, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, anything yeah. else stand out that you, you remember re-watching? And kind of maybe you didn't remember from watching at that, well, uh, that well, snack bar?
1: I know this is just about aesthetics, but I got to say, like, the throwbacks that they wore are just the Most beautiful simple basketball uniforms, um, and I love the Yukon look with the side piping they have now. And the but I really think, that, uh, as an aside, they need to bring back the 06 throwbacks, which were actually a nod to the early 90s. And I know red is a trim color for Yukon, but um, th- those just looked beautiful, and, and I know that. The popularity of those uniforms as a kid, and even I'm sure at the school, were, were, uh, were big. Um, but they, if Nike could throw us a bone and uh, give UConn a couple games wearing those throwbacks or just a throwback in general, it would be great because those uniforms were, um, I believe they were either worn a little bit the year before or the year after. I'm guessing it was probably the year before, um, but they only wore them a couple games because they were wearing them when they lost to George Mason. And I know I've seen on Twitter that they're not going to bring them back because they lost to George Mason in them. But um, the uh, UConn's won four national titles all wearing different uniforms. And uh, I know it's a heartbreaking loss to George Mason there, but I'd crave for an Elite Eight run right now. Um, So I think that's not something to – a uniform over anymore, um, especially considering, I remember the Yukon women pulled out a silver jersey uh, against Duke before this with Tarasi, and they lost to Duke at the Civic Center, and then Gino said something about throwing the jerseys in the uh, incinerator, and then, you know, when we were there, the women brought back the silver and gray, and it's part of the regular rotation, so just from an aesthetics perf- perspective, like, I don't know who else is in agreement with me, but those uniforms, watching that, in addition to the gamble atmosphere and the the players' talent and the great teams, um, you know, that was something that made me, you know, crave for uh, Nike to to give UConn some throwbacks to, to put in the rotation.
0: Those, yeah, I, those uh, two thousand six jerseys were incredible. I uh, very big fan. Highly rec- Highly endorse what you just said. Yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah, the George Mason thing is is tough, but I mean, it's been yeah. like it's been fourteen years. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Michigan State, I, I like they bring back throwbacks from the years they won. You know, they wore '79 a couple years ago, and then 2000 this past year. I don't know the ins and outs. I have no idea about the finances, but I would think Nike would be able to put something, even if it's a '99. Throwback, but the, the '90s with the Connecticut across the chest—that's the thing. Not that UConn isn't obviously—it's a flagship and state pride. But I, I think it's cool to see the state, um, the state whole, the entire word on one of the jerseys. I know everything's streamlined now, um, but and even I, I guess the one other thing though—that's tough—just uh, to kind of move the conversation along uh, and get it off my tangent here is. That UConn, they look to be playing their best basketball of the season in this game, which makes it all the more gut-wrenching uh, that it became um, you know, what we remember, like you said. They, they close out the Big East regular season with two wins against South Florida and Louisville. They have the overtime Syracuse loss in the Big East tournament. And then they struggle with Albany, the 16th seed uh, struggle with Kentucky, the eighth seed, um, with, uh, who Rondo played point guard for them. And then they need overtime for Washington. Um, you know, and then they lose to George Mason and overtime. And even the tournament they played in Philly, then DC, it was kind of all set up for them to face off against Florida in the final four. So, It's tough even, like, 15 years later to think, like, even just a Final Four banner would have at least been more fulfilling. It's still a gut punch to think about them not being able to get over the hump in the Elite Eight.
0: Yeah, no, the funny thing is, like, it kind of worked out the same way for Villanova, too, because, you know, these were the two best teams in the Big East, but then next thing you know, Syracuse and Jerry McNamara have their crazy run and kind of Uh spoil the whole party there. And then you know, yeah, like this, these two teams, like they could have faced off in the final four, like you know, if UConn had beaten George Mason, you know, Florida, um, Florida beats, uh, you know, Florida beats Villanova in the Elite Eight. So obviously, you know, that's kind of that's that's kind of one where like if you're a Villanova fan, you can't really look back on that one as being too too devastating because Florida. You know, they went two straight national championships. And, you know, that that specific Florida roster, like, you know, with Joakim Noah and, you know, Al Horford and Corey Brewer. I mean, you could make a case that's maybe one of the best college basketball rosters assembled in the last 25 years. So, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But these two teams like they could have faced off again in the Big East tournament. They could have faced off again in the final four. Those games would have been epic. But, you know, whatever it is, the college sports don't work out you know like a fairy tale sometimes or well maybe in this case they did just for other teams
1: (laughs) it worked out well for UConn uh, a lot of years so can't complain too much but like you said George Mason they were the Cinderella I just remember I felt bad for Brown and Anderson Um, I I remember like kind of being bitter thinking like oh maybe the underclassmen or uh, or you know the non-seniors who had an eye on the NBA, or, like, maybe this was Calhoun's worst coaching job. But, like, it's hard now, like you said, kind of having more life experience and perspective and kind of just seeing more, have have watched more sports over 15 years. You realize, like, the NCAA tournament at times can be a crapshoot, and, um, you know, like, it's just tough uh, because UConn, in the years since, you know, they get to the Final Four nine, win eleven and fourteen, in spectacular fashion. So, like, it's it's really kind of for other fan bases hearing us complain about it. I'm sure, you know, they're they, they're not very happy. But it it worked out where they were in the position to be George Mason, and George Mason was better. And I do think like the best basketball there it was behind them at the start of the NCAA tournament, which makes it. Which makes it tough. Um, but, you know, they still reached Elite Eight, and, uh, you know, it didn't, they fell short. And he, even Nova, like you said, because that was one fact I couldn't really figure out where Packer was saying Villanova was hosting the regionals, and he said how Villanova had only played three games at the Wachovia Center, and because they only played three games there, They could then be at the Wachovia Center for the tournament. And I looked, and Villanova played more than – I mean, most of their Big East games were at Wachovia. All, if not most, were there. They play at the Pavilion like once um, a season. And so they still got to go home, or stay home rather, and play the first two rounds at their home arena. So I'm not sure if Packer was wrong that sense. But like you said, they go they win their first two games at home and then they go out to uh the Metrodome. And for them to lose to Florida like, you know, yeah, it's things at a time, but you know, the the guys can Florida came back and went back to back cementing them um over those two years as some of the best uh college players put together, especially now where, you know, if you win it or if you get as far as you can, chances are the players who got you there aren't going to stick around. So, you know, it's a, it's just uh, Neither team got over the hump, but it still doesn't take away the fact that the game was just awesome to rewatch.
0: Oh, absolutely! Sounds like you have a bit of a broadcast beef with uh, Billy Packer. <laughs> so, do you want to just I, dive? do you want to? Dive? I like.
1: I like Packer. I, I think I, I think the great thing about Vern Lundqvist and then Billy Packer in this case. And that's the thing, like, him saying that, like, yeah, I guess, like, you know, me 15 years later looking that up, trying to figure out what he was talking about, I liked how honest they were. And they, I know, you know, in the NBA, you have, like, Hubie Brown's, like, a protector of the league and doesn't really want to jump on a ref or, like, be critical, And, and these guys were critical of the refs for both sides and they they had a lot of insight and even foresight like i said with adrian like even packer calling out rudy gay for the lack of um aggressiveness was was kind of a narrative that maybe you know him he could have led a little bit more to help UConn uh reach you know bigger heights than they did but that that broadcast crew was was awesome i don't mean to poke fun at Billy Packer because that, that makes the game enjoyable too as well
0: oh you know? yeah no they, they Vernon and Billy were great uh, but I, I I love this section because uh every once in a while you do see some things or hear some things that definitely raise your eyebrow and um, lately I haven't found many but in this one there were two noticeable things that not not the commentators but the like the graphic design people had some uh, notice noticeable uh, goofs. Um, so at one point, there's a, a CBS graphic about Villanova's four guards, and it refers to Kyle Lowry as Kyle Lowry, spelled L-O-W-E-R-Y, like the same way as like the the, the, the former Washington Post journalist. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I guarantee that you that is not an error that you'll see made about him now on like an ESPN broadcast now that he's a six-time All-Star and an NBA champion. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, and then, it was, is, the, is the other one you're thinking of uh, the uh, Garrison graphic? Uh,
0: not sure. What? What? what tell me about I it. I
1: think they called, I think after a Rashad Anderson 3, it said, like, Rashad or Rob Garrison. And they, like, tried to, they flashed it up and took it off. Oh, and then my it God. I, up again.
0: I didn't notice that one. That's really funny.
1: No, there were some gaffes. I liked, my favorite thing was they had the, um... They had the NCA 2K6 graphic. Did you see that one? Oh, yeah,
0: where they were like, you know, showing like, you know, kind of some offensive sets and they were using, you know, the old like what is like a PS2 system type thing. Yeah, to...
1: yeah and it was Pontiac Moonchanger graphic. And like it was, yeah, that was funny to me. And I think I, I it had like the Hartford Civic Center um, logo on the card. So I don't know if anyone still has their NCA 2K6 out there, but. Uh, was was it Gamble or was it Civic Center as the home court for UConn? Because I was a <laughs> I was a March Madness uh, EA Sports guy, and they they didn't have the Civic Center. They only had Gamble in that. So well, that's yeah, that, that was, sounds that better. Was neat to see.
0: That's incredible, <laughs> Pontiac. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that's an anachronism now too. They uh, yeah. that brand ceased to exist like three years later in the financial crisis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, So actually, no, the other the other goof that I had, uh, they had a a wooden award profile graphic for Rudy Gay, basically just being like, you know, here's all the things that, you know, why he's a candidate to, you know, contend for the wooden award. Except the only thing is, you know, this game was played in 2006. It referred to him as a 2005 candidate.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. No, and even. Yeah, because gay that that's something he. He would. um. If he, you know, obviously he, he had to go, but he, he would have been, you know, the next year, he probably would have been a, a player of the year favorite. But even they they said, um, or I think it was Packer, so his he was the only player in the country to average over 15.6 rebounds, two assists, a block, and one and a half steals in the country at that time. So I thought that sounds funny because it's kind of like, weird um, thresholds to rate the player, but that was pretty that was funny when they said uh, you know he's only player in the country to do those uh, five things. Um, but yeah, he, but isn't he that rather- just like
0: standard basketball analysis into the 2010s? Like, come on! Like, how often do you see something? Just be like, "Oh yeah, LeBron James is the uh, first player in 43 years to average 25 points, you know, like 12 rebounds, and like, you know, you know, like eight, eight, like you know, 24 chicken wings exactly three hours before practice. Like, just like the goofiest things. Like, you'll you you see it all the time. You you know what I mean? Like,
1: no, yeah, no. There, there's the uh, yeah Tuesday night uh, away game coming off a back to back in February. Yeah, no, you're right. It's uh. Yeah, that, and hey, that, that is true, um, that it was kind of the beginning of those random uh, facts, but even um, that, that that's a cool thing, too, like going back with these games um, as enjoyable as they are regardless, that you kind of see also how far the technology has come. Like, they had the, the montages of, you know, like I said, the Villanova Hustle plays, but, you know, they do, I think, going into timeout and they had a lot of good hip hop hits, um, going into the timeouts there that kind of brings you back to that point in your life. But even one of the, uh, uh, shots going in, going into commercial break was like a Hill and Armstrong dunk and they rewound it like twice, you know, before they went to commercial and then even, um, you know they had the bubble teams that they'd pull up with the regular season winding down, uh, which Syracuse was one of them at the time. Yeah, but that, they had the bubbles that, on the screen. Like that that the, didn't age the sound particularly well. Of the bubbles. <laughs> so it's funny now seeing what how you know how technology seamlessly um, you know into these broadcasts with no glitches or gaffes. and back then it was still not in its infancy, but they were really trying to utilize graphics on screen more. And there were some technical difficulties at times or just, you know, graphics that look, uh, they pale in p- comparison to what you see now.
0: Yeah. So I was trying to chime in there just to be like Syracuse, the, f- the notion of them being a bubble team, c- just considering like literally three weeks later, they were like, you know, <laughs> put together one of the craziest postseason runs like ever it was that was pretty yeah. funny. It was also funny because then there would also be some like they they would show some scores and like of other teams, other games that were happening at the same time. And you you know, poor South Florida was like winless in the Big East at that point. It was, you know, I think there was even a comment at one point it's like, "Yeah, man, like the bottom five teams in the Big East, you know, four of them like they could still make the tournament. It's crazy. South Florida is really the only one that has no chance."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I lo- and I was when I was looking at the draft. I think Solomon Jones was on South Florida then. So. He was drafted in the second round. So they did have an NBA player on the team or draftee. Uh, but yeah, that was tough because that's the thing, you know, with the expansion of the big East and them kind of figuring out the format of the tournament and stuff. Um, and I know South Florida's gotten uh UConn the last couple years, but it's funny looking back USF, they, they had a tough go of things uh, at the beginning there. And for the most part since, um, for, you know, their basketball program, but, um, no, and it is, it is to, uh, you know, Syracuse obviously hats off to them for that, uh, run they, they would make in the weeks that followed.
0: Yeah. Oh, well. So anyway, we're, we're pretty much, uh, we're, we're starting to run long. So let's just run through the stats and then, um, we're going to pick the top dog. And I love this game because almost always there's one, maybe two guys you can pick up and be like, Oh, yeah, that, that guy's clearly the guy. In this game, there's like a lot of. You can make a strong case for a lot of guys. So let me just run down the list. So Denim Brown, 23 points, five rebounds. Rashard Anderson, 17 points, six rebounds, five for five for seven from three. Rudy Gay, 13 points, seven rebounds. Marcus Williams, 10 points, 12 assists. Hilton Armstrong, nine points, eight blocks. Jeff Hadrian, eight points, nine rebounds in only 19 minutes, and uh, the. I should just mention the team as a whole, UConn shot 54% from the field for the game and 61% from three. And yeah, <laughs> Villanova took like 20 more shots than they did. And somehow they like beat them by 14. So, yeah. um, so yeah. who's uh, given all that, who's the top dog?
1: Um, well, I, I would like to say you did. And I know I gave Craig Austria a shout out earlier. You did fail to mention, uh, Ed Nelson, um, who was a personal favorite of mine? He was 0 for 3 from the field, and I didn't know, I didn't look at the box score before the game started, so every uh, hook shot he did, I was hoping it'd go in, because I loved Ed Nelson, uh, former Georgia Tech ACC Rookie of the Year, and then UConn transfer, who almost, uh, who I think either went to St. Louis Rams minicamp or worked out with the San Diego Chargers or something. So even though. I think he played overseas a little bit. I think Ed, Ed Nelson was just awesome, and I'm glad he got in the game because it was great to see him again. But my top dog has to be Marcus Williams. Ten points, six for six from the line, two for four shooting, uh, 12 assists, um, four turnovers, yes, but um, I just I just loved watching him again. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, – tell me your top dog I was
0: worried for a moment you were about to tell me that you think Ed Nelson should be the top dog considering that he recorded a five trillion in this game <laughs> well
1: I, I I had to give him the shot because Craig Ostry he was 0 for 3 from the field too but he went on to reach a final four be it a senior leader this if the, uh you know I don't know how many times Ed Nelson will be mentioned on this podcast again and it, I just thought you know, the team, that was the thing. It was so loaded that the, the ACC Rookie of the Year uh, or Freshman of the Year from a couple years back, um, you know, barely got off the bench. Um, so, you know, he was probably cold coming off the bench there. But, yeah, Williams, for me, it does, I know the 12 assists, but just the way he led the offense, he played um, a game-high 36 minutes. So he, he made everything go. Not everything, but he, he made... He made things smooth for UConn offensively um, and just really, like I said, an incredible floor general, the lefty guard. It was awesome to reminisce about that.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Marcus Williams is a great pick. Uh, I'm going to just go with uh, Rashad Anderson because I think he was like, you know, so when he caught fire or those were both points where UConn was not in trouble, but things could have gone differently and maybe Villanova pulls ahead a little further, maybe they maybe they win, who knows, but whenever UConn needed the spark, Rashad Anderson knocked down a three, and they were all just absolute, just like, just swish, like perfect shots. The one where he, like, goes to his right and then hits the shot, that was maybe one, that was one of the best shots of the game, just because, like, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of these three-point shooters are spot-up guys, but for him to just put a move on the guy, make a miss, and then just drain it like that in the dude's face, you know, Rashad Anderson is a great 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 Yukon basketball player. I, I so, always love watching all of his games whenever I catch him on one of these rewatches. You know, 17 points, 6 rebounds, you know, 5 for 5 for 7 from 3. He was efficient, you know, he was good. Good good game for Rashad. A good game for everybody. I mean, yeah, you know, not too often that no, you I, see Yukon shoot agree, 54% yeah. from the field against the number 2 team in the country and score 89 points. But yeah, that's, that's what we got. Um, Matt, anything else before I let you go?
1: No, I just, I just want to say I agree with the Anderson pick, too, because he was the highest-scoring big man, in the or six man, excuse me, in the country with 13 points per game. And for him to get 17 points, 24 minutes, very impactful. Uh, and, you know, that, those points made a difference. I think they mentioned in the game how he preferred coming off the bench um, whereas Brown preferred being a starter, so even though Brown had the career high um, and game high twenty-three points, um, you know the consistent reliability of Brown uh, Anderson's points were a, a little bit louder. And then I guess the one uh, Villanova player that I'd like to mention that I thought was kind of under the radar, even though he was three for nine. Again, Villanova was twenty-five to seventy-four for the game, so they you know they shot. They did not shoot well. They were 30% for three and 33% for the field, for the game. But Will Sheridan, I thought his nine points, his 11 rebounds were big. I mean, he had 10 offensive rebounds.
0: So yeah, you know, that
1: helped keep them around too. That's, so just that's pretty to give good. Him a shout out. Um, but also, you know, thanks again for having me. I know we went long, but. Uh, Sometimes I'm a little too long-winded, but I really appreciate being back on the podcast as always to talk UConn basketball.
0: Well, I'm happy to have you back anytime, and you know what? I just hope that this uh, the next UConn Villanova game is, you know, as good as the last one and the ones before that, and then. They've played. This is a great rivalry that I think is maybe one of the more underappreciated rivalries because, like, you have this game, you have the the 2011 Villanova game at the XL Center that we covered. That game was yeah. awesome too. You know, they've had they've had a couple. They had a couple of great ones in 2009. There was the 2014 tournament game. You know, a lot of great matchups over the years. And like, you know, this is like going forward. They are the ones who we need to who UConn needs to take down a peg. So you know. Is, there's some good history to be mined there. And I'm, I'm just like, excited to, you know. The, the best part about Villanova, honestly, is that, like, I, I find it difficult to, like, hate them. Although maybe that, that could change soon <laughs> once if we oh, yeah. have a couple of big losses to them. But, like, you know, after, you know, years of, like, dealing with, you know, American Athletic Conference schools who have fan bases that were just, like, uh, you know, just difficult to deal with when you have Villanova, you have a team that's also won national championships recently and they care about basketball as much as we do. So game on, (laughs) let's go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We're coming into their league now. You know, that's the thing. Big East is home to us, but Villanova has been running the league and yeah, it's hard to hate any, any big East team really, you know, I'm just happy to be back and hopefully, you know, cautiously optimistic that the coronavirus pandemic can be managed and there can be sports. Um, but, you know, whether it be this year or next, uh, we'll see. But, yeah, it's just great to be back in the Big East and have the, the uh, matchups we do uh, coming up in the years that will follow.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think UConn Twitter would take issue with your characterization of all the Big East teams. I think most would agree, would say that Providence is kind of I, there's some I'll, bad I'll blood. Agree with that. There's All some right. bad blood there. Right. I I'm excited right. to have Providence in the league though, because you know as a Massachusetts guy, I can easily get to Providence. So I, I haven't been able to see very many road games in a while. So it'll be nice to have them kind of in my own backyard. But you know, obviously, we need to get to a point where we can actually have games again. So. No, that's no small thing. Um, yeah, so anyway, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo. That's M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. DMs are open. You know the drill. Um, you know, you can Email me at podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter at mcdtwin1. Lots of good uh, Patriots, Celtics, UConn, Bill Russell, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, five-star reviews. We want to have them. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week. So um, yeah, we'll just wrap it up here and we'll see you guys all later.